starting a new series called Abide. And I think this series has been percolating in my own heart and imagination for a while, but it kind of came to a head in the last month leading into the new year. I thought, you know, I really want to do a series, and this is just as much for myself as it is for anyone else here. I heard once that, um, you know, you can't, you, 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 people tend to teach what they feel personally they need to know at an, at an unconscious level. And just moving into 2018, I thought, you know, I want to do a series where I learn or relearn how to discover a fruitful rhythm of kingdom life that isn't accomplished through um, just sheer willpower and striving, but instead through grace and through abiding. So every week, we're just going to look at different dimensions and areas of life, uh, family, friendship, finances, vocation, singleness, marriage, and we're going to discover what it means to abide in Christ instead of what I think is the cultural default and sometimes even the Christian cultural default of the new year, which is, it's a new year, let's do more, let's try harder, which obviously has a kernel of nobility to it, but I think in my experience, and I think in, in many of the experiences of people that I talk to, that those, those good intentions are often not uh, long-lived. They're, they're pretty short-lived. And people find themselves, ironically, the more intentional they try to be, the quicker they hit the wall and the faster spiritual burnout can set in. And so in this effort, this noble effort to do more this year, do more for God, try harder, we can actually impede our ability to move into spiritual depth and spiritual fruitfulness. And so I really felt compelled to steep in a passage, and that's John 15. It's the one that we're going to look at in a moment. And steep in the themes, and because I found that whenever I've fallen into the temptation of equating doing more or trying harder with spiritual growth, I've actually ended up in a place of shallowness and unfruitfulness. I can often find myself burnt out and discouraged. And so in this series, I want to explore practices and postures that allow us to live from a place of grace-fueled overflow instead of um, work-fueled scarcity and striving. And so along the way, we're going to look at questions like, What does it practically look like to abide in Christ as we move through our everyday lives? What are the practices and patterns and postures that we need to adopt or in some cases let go of so that we remain meaningfully connected to Jesus? How does the gospel change my approach to Christian living? What what can I expect if I remain in Christ and what should I expect if I choose not to remain in Christ? And so it's my prayer that through this series, all of us take another step on learning to live into Jesus' invitation, to abide in him so that our lives become one of fruitfulness. So I'm just going to pray for a moment kind of at the start of this series. God, I pray that everybody here is hungry and thirsty. God, and I pray that we would seek to satisfy that hunger and thirst in you. And as you open up your word this morning, as we move into this new series, both for myself and for people for whom I just, you know, what I just said that resonates with them, I I really pray that this would be a series where we learn what it means to rest in you and to live out of 
that strong, deep connection with you. God, teach us what it means to remain in you, to abide in you. I want to have a fruitful life, God. I want 2018 to be fruitful. And you define what that is, God, not me. To that end, God, I commend this series to you. I commend this year to you. Give us grace to move into that vision. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to read the passage. It's John 15, verses 1 to 11. John 15, 1 to 11. Jesus is speaking to his followers. That is the context. And he says to them, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. And if anyone does not remain in me, he's like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. And I've told you this, so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. So I think this passage not so subtly hints that for those who humbly embrace Jesus, who place themselves in Christ by faith, Jesus offers a transforming spirituality that's characterized by two things, depth and fruitfulness. We talked about that last week. However, a lot of people find the experience of both of those things, spiritual deep intimacy with Christ and a a pervasive fruitfulness across the different dimensions of their life, they, they find that that, the experience of those, to be out of reach. And so the natural reaction for some people is to try harder, which often helps you quickly arrive at spiritual burnout. Other people just kind of give up because they believe themselves to be insufficiently spiritual to take hold of this life that Jesus is offering. And then there's often a third category of people whose hearts grow cold and almost resentful because they have tried And not only have they given up, but they have come to suspect or they've believed the lie that the abundant life Jesus offers them, this life of depth and this life of fruitfulness, was was never really meant for them. There's a different tier of Christian for whom that's open to, but not everybody. But as I thought about this passage and I steeped in it, I thought, you know, sometimes the root of this disconnect lies in the fact that there are people expecting to experience the fruit of what emerges from a close relationship with Jesus without being in a close relationship with Jesus. I think there are quite a few people who um, approach Jesus as a teacher, 
So they kind of scan through his ideas. That's good. That's a good nugget there. That's a gem. And I take it and I try and integrate it into my life. So I try to practice Christianity without being connected to Christ. I try and operate as a branch without connecting myself to the vine. And that doesn't work. Jesus makes that very clear in this passage. And there are a lot of people who to a greater or lesser degree, call themselves Christian because Christian is a stand-in for them for like, yeah, I was raised in a Christian home with Christian values or um, Christianity, vague, you know, Judeo-Christian values are sort of civic religion of our culture, at least for some people. And some of these people even attend church. They are active in serving in their community by social standards. They're very good people. They're very sincere people. But they're not attached to the vine. They're not connected to Jesus in terms of a personal relationship. And Jesus makes it clear throughout the Gospels that the term Christian, which means little Christian, little Christ, is only to be applied to those who are actually in him. And so Jesus in John 15 is talking to disciples, people who have said, I'm going to follow you, Jesus. You're my king. I want to learn what it means to follow you into the life God has for me. And he talks a lot about abiding in himself. That's an older translation of the word that we just read from, which means remaining, to remain in Jesus. But I like abide better. It's just a cool word. But the first condition of remaining in Christ is to place yourself in Christ by faith. Jesus is not talking to people who aren't Christians. He's talking to people who have already made that decision to follow Jesus. See, no one is automatically a Christian. Being born into a Christian home does not make you a Christian. Showing up to church does not make you a Christian. Opening up your Bible and reading doesn't make you a Christian. Those are all things that Christians do, hopefully. But you can do all those things and still not have a heart and life that's surrendered to Jesus. And so Jesus refers to himself as the true vine. And he says, we're all like branches that have been cut off from God because of sin's power. But because of what Jesus does, he comes He lives, lives the life we should have lived, dies the death we should have died, and then offers us a great exchange. He will take our sin and condemnation into himself and give us his life, life eternal, beginning right now. And so he uniquely has opened up a way through which all these lost and lowly branches can get grafted into not just a vine, but the true vine, the true source of life. And like branches that are grafted into a strong and life-giving vine by placing our trust in Christ, we're actually reconnected to the source of life and hope and truth and goodness, love. And then what happens is Jesus' life, his rule and authority, the kingdom of God, begins to flow through our lives in surprising and really powerful ways. But a person is not a Christian if they've never connected themselves to the vine by faith. And a person, therefore, can't experience what Jesus says are for those who are in him, attached to the vine, outside of that relationship. But I think sometimes the disconnect happens because that's exactly what people want. I want a fruitful life. I want a life of deep peace and deep security. I want all of the fruit that comes from connectedness to Jesus. But for whatever reason, I don't really prioritize the connectedness to Jesus part. Or I don't think that's necessary. I'll leapfrog over that step and just go to learning spiritual practices and principles that will help me in my life instead of saying, no, 
my life now needs to be hidden with, um, in Christ with God. And so I guess to start off the series, I'd want to, you know, lay a pretty important question before you right in the onset, which is everything that I'm going to talk about in the following weeks presumes that you are in Christ. And what that means is if you long to experience what I'm talking about in the weeks ahead, I want you to remember this, that you cannot do it outside of connectedness to Jesus. These are, f- these are unique fruits that emerge from a life that has been found in Christ. So if you want to experience a spirituality of depth and fruitfulness that touches every dimension of your life and that leads to greater joy and restoration and hope and redemption, then you need to place yourself in Christ first and then learn to remain in him. Now, the real shorthand for how to become a Christian is quite easy. You confess to Jesus that you need his love and his forgiveness. You don't need to know all the reasons why. You just need to know, have that acknowledgement that you need him. You need his forgiveness. You need his saving grace in your life. You need to repent, which is a loaded term, but it just basically means turn around. The Greek just means turn around. Instead of living life on your terms, you're turning from that and turning toward learning to live life as God calls you to live and you receive Jesus' forgiveness, and then you should notify someone, a Christian in your life, say, I have decided to follow Jesus. I have lots of questions. I have no idea. I'm a little scared. very excited, but I wanted to let someone know. And it's important to let a pastor or someone um, in kind of a spiritual leadership position know so that we can work with you, set up a time to get baptized. You can publicly profess your faith, and then you begin the journey of discipleship, which is learning how to pattern your life after Jesus. So when Jesus talks about, in John 15, abiding in him, he's talking about, he's talking to those who have chosen intentionally, personally, to place their hope in him. So in verse four, under this presumption, he says, remain in me and I will remain in you. It's a command and a promise. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself, right? That's, you can't bear the kind of fruit you were designed to bear on your own just by extracting uh, spiritual self-help nuggets. You need to be connected to the vine. You must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So remaining in Jesus presumes the tendency and the temptation to drift out of intimacy and connection with Jesus. How many of you guys, have, just by show of hands, have experienced spiritual drift in your life where in one moment you find yourself in a really a place of spiritual vibrancy and you're thriving and then there's a passage of time and all of a sudden you become aware, you wake up one day, you're at church, you're moving through your everyday life and you're like, something is off. I just feel... Like I've drifted away from where I was. How many of you have ever experienced that? So that is the natural inclination of the human heart. The natural inclination is to drift. And so Jesus says to those who are following him, remain in me, because you're going to have to be actively moving in that direction because the normal tendency of things, left, uh, left to our own devices, we drift. And that drift is always dangerous. It's usually slow. It's usually very subtle, 
but it never leads us, we never drift towards greater intimacy with Jesus. One writer says, people do not drift towards holiness. Apart from grace-driven effort, people do not just naturally gravitate toward godliness, towards prayer, towards obedience to the scripture, towards faith, towards delight in Christ. We drift towards compromise, but we call it tolerance. We drift towards disobedience and call it freedom. We drift towards superstition and we call it faith. We cherish the indiscipline of lost self-control and we call it relaxation. We slouch towards prayerlessness and delude ourselves into thinking, phew, we've actually escaped legalism. We slide toward godlessness and convince ourselves that we've been liberated. This passage has a lot of comforting, powerful truths in it. But what I found myself thinking about this week is the haunting realization that it is possible to be saved, to be someone who is, I've given my life to Jesus, I am born again, I am secure in my relationship in terms of my salvation. Nothing can jeopardize that. I'm now in Christ. But I can live in such a way that I just drift farther and farther away from strong, vibrant connection to Jesus. I can be a Christian, but very much not be abiding in Christ not living in a way that keeps me remaining in Jesus. And, and the, the metaphor there is kind of like a marriage, right? You can be married to someone, and legally, and in all the ways that are objectively true, you are married, but there is such relational drift that on the ground level, you are essentially operating within the context of marriage. You're married, but you're operating as if you're an autonomous individual, You're not actually connected in a vital way to your spouse. You haven't remained within your marriage vows. You're technically married, but you're not in the marriage in terms of relational connectedness. And that's important because, again, Jesus in John 15, he's not addressing people who are abiding in him and are saved and then people who aren't saved. He's saying, you need to remain in me because there will be people and the temptation will come into your life, maybe pretty consistently, to drift away from that connectedness. So this morning, one of the questions that I want to look at is, okay, let's bring it right down to kind of brass tacks. What is the big deal? Why should I heed this call? Jesus says, remain in me. That's a command. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. So what should I expect if I remain in Christ and what should I expect if I don't remain in Christ? And if you haven't experienced this in your own life already, you will. And that is, if I choose to remain in Christ, if I cultivate patterns and practices that keep me abiding with Jesus, I will experience fruitfulness. John 15, 5 says, I am the vine, you're the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. He will have a fruitful life. And as I stand on the, uh, you know, the, the first few days of 2018, That has been my prayer, is God, I want 2018 to be fruitful. You can have all these goals, but sometimes the goals come more out of ego or your own sense of this is what would really matter to God 
and I've kind of gone into this year saying, God, I just want 2018 to be fruitful in terms of you being glorified, your kingdom expanding in my life, my marriage, my family, in the church, community. And I'm going to kind of let go a little bit of what I feel like that has to look like. But God, I do want it to be fruitful. I want to get to the end of 2018 to say, oh, that was a deeply meaningful year. Depth and fruitfulness characterized a huge part of my life, thanks be to God. True fruitfulness begins in the heart with the fruit of the Spirit, and that inner fruit then affects outward actions, which will glorify God, and God's will gets accomplished in the world. So when Jesus talks about bearing fruit, he's talking about God being glorified, we're growing, our sense of meaning and purpose and integration is um, increasingly cohering and coming together. We're living with a vital energy that moves us through every day. Other people are being strengthened in the faith because of how we're living and loving and serving and other people are coming to know Jesus and we're helping them to grow. That's what a fruitful life looks like. And if you're a Christian, there's a part of your heart that in your best, most, most faithful, most undistracted moments says, that is what I want for my life. More than any other goals that I have, that's what I want. I want a fruitful life that bears fruit to the glory of God. Now, what should I expect if I don't abide? Because Jesus says, that's an option for Christians. You can not remain in me. What's going to happen? Well, there's going to be a lack of fruit or uh, in maybe a stronger turn, the New Testament also talks about the fact that you will bear fruit, but it will be fruit for death. So in a parable of the sower in Mark 4, Jesus talks about what we've probably all experienced is having a disciple who starts strong, they're growing in their faith, verse 19, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth and the desire for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. We can start off, but if we don't abide, what happens is a, um, when we displace Jesus slowly, either from walking away or we, or we pushing him away from the center and throne of our hearts, that throne never stays empty. It's like a vacuum. It'll suck in something else. And it'll happen slowly, but it can be wealth. It can be just cares and worries. Maybe cares and worries are very, very good things. But Jesus says all those things, what happens is over time, they pile up and they crowd out God's kingdom priorities and they choke out the word. They choke out the activity of God in your life and they make it unfruitful. You just are not bearing fruit. You're very busy. You can look at your calendar and you get to the end of the day and you're exhausted, but there's just no fruit coming from all these efforts. And the more you double down and I'm going to do better, I'm going to try harder, beat yourself up over it, the less fruitful you become. But then in Romans 7, Paul says, when we were controlled by the sinful nature, when we weren't Christians, we didn't have God's spirit working within us and we were totally um, living in alignment with what our sinful nature predisposes us to, he says, we bore fruit for death. Our lives were fruitful, but it wasn't fruit that led to God being glorified, healing, restoration, love, God's truth going into the world. It was a fruit that led to death. Self-destructive um, patterns, destructive patterns in our relationships, chaos, disintegration, lack of harmony, lack of shalom, lack of love. In Galatians 5, when Paul is talking about 
the fruit of the spirit. He talks about the acts of the sinful nature, of what comes naturally when we are outside of a relationship with Christ and when we follow our own devices and desires as sinful human beings. He says the acts of the sinful nature are pretty obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, he's talking to Christians. He said, I warn you, as I did before, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. I don't think, and I think I'm on pretty good um, hermeneutical ground to say what Paul is saying is if you're a Christian and you sometimes do these things, you're you're not going to get to go to heaven. Because we're not saved by Jesus and us being good. We're saved um, by grace through faith. Our works count for nothing in salvation. So I think what Paul is saying is, I'm going to warn you, if you think as a Christian, you can live this way, but inherit the kind of life God has for you, 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 you're, you're a fool. You cannot expect to live in a way that is in alignment with anti-God, anti-life, anti-truth, sinful selfishness, and drink from that stream but then the fruit of your life be this love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control. That is not how this works. And so Paul is warning these Christians to avoid these things because you can't participate in an ongoing, unrepentant way in these activities, but expect to have this strong, intimate, dynamic, transforming relationship with Jesus any more that you could expect to be married and live in such a way that you're giving your spouse lip service while engaging in all kinds of activities that betray your spouse's trust, that betrays your marriage vows, but expecting at the end of the day, why aren't my spouse and I like super connected and on the same page and why isn't my marriage a source of life and thriving for me? Well, of course it wouldn't be because you're living in ways that are... Um, inviting fruit for death into the relationship itself. And so this is pretty helpful from a self-diagnostic standpoint in terms of as we stand at the start of 2018, right? If your life as a Christian, generally speaking, is unfruitful, because it's never one or the other. It's not like we're always, always fruitful or never, never fruitful. But if, to a large degree, your life is unfruitful, or if there's fruit that is consistently emerging from your life that is fruit for death, then that is, that, that's a strong indication that you are not abiding, you're not remaining in Jesus. Something is out of whack. So practically speaking, how do we abide in Christ and combat that spiritual drift that we're all going to find ourselves seduced into again and again and again? Well, Jesus says, if you obey my commands, you will remain in my love. So part of it could be, I could just say, there end of the lesson. Obey Jesus, done. Now that's going to be cold comfort for those people for whom obedience in certain areas is very, very challenging. Or you don't even necessarily have an imagination to understand what it even looks like. So the question underneath that question is then, how do I learn to obey Jesus with my whole life so that I abide in him? Because if you are like me, you've probably found out simply trying to remind yourself to obey Jesus or being hard on yourself to obey Jesus better tends not to be fruitful. 
Well, in the book that Rick and I are reading called Resilient Ministry, they surveyed a bunch of pastors, and I think the core things of what they found are very transferable to any Christian. And they found that there were five practices that pastors who were thriving, not in terms of ministry output or had big churches, but who in themselves felt stronger, more connected to Jesus, five years in, 15 years in, 30 years into their pastoral ministry. What were the patterns and practices that, that, that distinguished those pastors from pastors who had hit the wall and after three or five years burnt out, left the ministry, or whose lives had completely unraveled due to fruit for death being born out in their lives. These were five practices that produced fruitful obedience. And these were five practices that helped these Christians, because remember, pastors just like any other Christian. We're uh, tempted to the same spiritual drift that anyone else's. These are five practices that helped pastors long-term remain in Jesus. The first thing is they learned to build rituals into their lives. Now, depending on your context, uh, church-wise, rituals can be a very, very negative word. That can sound lifeless and, you know, literally ritualistic, going through the motions, dead religion. That's not how this word is being used. This word is being used to convey intentional, highly intentional, purposeful habits. We have habits that we go through every day, but these Christians said, I'm going to build, they're, they're, I'm going to build rituals into my life to keep me on track so that even when I don't feel like following Jesus or following through in this way, I'm going to have rituals built in that will help to steer me in that direction and combat spiritual drift. Romans 12.1 says, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. One of the themes that will come up in this series is that your life is a liturgy. A liturgy is a fancy word that means order of service. We have an order of service every Sunday. Call to worship, four songs, announcements offering, children, one song, sermon, one song, benediction. Generally, that's our order of service. It changes a little bit. You go to every church, every church has a liturgy. Churches that say they don't have a liturgy, they're just not aware of their liturgy. Their liturgy is usually sing songs for a long time, stop, preach for a long time, then we're done. It's a simple liturgy, still liturgy, your life as a Christian is a liturgy. When you wake up, your plan for the day, your purpose for the day, that is your order of service. And Christians who learn to abide in Christ long term learn to think that way and to say, am I building rituals into my everyday life so that in every day I am learning to form habits that will keep me from drifting from Jesus? And does the liturgy of my life, not my Sunday liturgy, my Monday through Saturday liturgy, does that liturgy bear witness to God's glory and goodness? And one of the things we're going to look at is what does, it, what does it mean to look at your life as a liturgy, as an order of service of worship to God from the time you get up to the time you go to bed? If you want 2018 to be a year where you grow in depth and fruitfulness, we're going to have to establish rituals, highly purposeful, intentional habits early on in the year. Number two, these are uh, pastors, they maintain accountability. Abiding in Christ is not an individual act. Jesus did not gather the disciples, keep them in one room, call them in each individually into a separate room, sit them down in a chair and say, you abide with me. It's just mano a mano. 
He said to a group of Christians, abide in me. There's, of course, an individual element to it, but we need each other to support and help each other remain in Jesus. It's both an individual and a communal calling. We need to be investing in Christian community, regular church attendance, small groups, Bible study, accountability, all these different things to combat spiritual drift. Number three, and this is a really surprising one, but I'm glad they mention it because the more I think about it pastorally and personally, it's true. In order to remain in Jesus, to, to abide in Jesus, you have to be committed to grow through your hardships and to take advantage of suffering. That might be surprising for some of you. You might not have expected that on the five, on the five list. I, I didn't expect it when I read through it. But one of the things they discovered was that to remain in Christ and connected to him, you have to learn how to suffer well. And a lot of why there is spiritual drift is because people place themselves in Christ and unconsciously, hopefully it's unconscious, presume that, well, now that I'm in Christ, there's like a spiritual force field around me and I get protected from suffering. And so when suffering comes, I distance myself from Jesus because I feel betrayed because you were supposed to make my life better you were supposed to make my life safer. You were supposed to take the threat level down to my dreams and my ambitions. You were supposed to make my life happen. But if we understand what we're getting into in a relationship with Jesus, you understand that as he says, for branches that are even fruitful, my father will prune them so that they become even more fruitful. I don't want to equate all suffering with God's pruning activity in our lives. That is, that's a theological bridge too far. There is much of suffering, which is bore, born simply out of living in a broken world, maybe our rebellion against God, maybe the effects of the enemy, but God will use suffering in our lives to make us more fruitful. And when that suffering comes, we have a choice to make, to either cooperate and learn to suffer well in Jesus, or to harden ourselves, to kind of close the arms of our heart and say, no, I'm not, I'm not down for this. I'll totally abide with Christ if it means a constant influx of joy and peace and prosperity. But if it means welcoming suffering and learning to worship God through suffering and to bear witness to God's glory in suffering, but this is a key pillar of long-term fruitfulness in Christ. I don't know anything about growing vines or grapes, so I had to Google a lot of stuff this week. And do you know what I found out? This is, when, um, when vine dressers prune the vine, which is the, uh, I'll show a, a picture next week, but they, they prune old growth so that new growth can emerge, do you know what percentage of the vine they have to prune? What would you have just guessed, ballpark? Yeah, it's about 80 to 90%. I thought it'd be like maybe a quarter at the high end. It's 80 to 90% of the previous year's growth has to be pruned back and removed. So we're talking about massive uh, amendments to the structure of the vine, not little tweaks and, oh, I'll just curl this over here and make some room there. A good vine dresser understands that there has to be a continual culling off of growth that was useful for a time but is no longer useful and is actually impeding new growth and new momentum to take place. 
That's part of how God uses suffering in our lives. To put to death the things in us that need to die so that the new things that God wants to do can flourish and have room to grow. Fourth, abiding in Christ is going to mean us practicing spiritual disciplines. To abide in Christ means we're going to have to adopt certain practices that strengthen us in Christ and strengthen us in our calling as Christians. But this should be done slowly and steadily, and the focus should be on training and not trying, and I want to tease that out a little bit. At the start of the year, this is what I've done for almost every single year that I've been a Christian. I get to my New Year's resolutions, and I just think, okay, Bible study, prayer, church stuff, serving, and I make this list, and I think, what would be like a massive, awesome, huge goal that I want to accomplish, and I'm just going to charge out of the gates on January 1st. Maybe some of you have greater willpower than me, or you're uh, just stronger in different ways, but I just always find myself discouraged by the end of January, and then I just slink back into drift and then hopefully recover sometime in the spring. And it's because I'm trying so hard to be a strong and vibrant Christian. I'm trying so hard. And that's actually counterproductive. Because Jesus says, if you learn to abide and remain in me, you will bear fruit. We do have to cooperate with Jesus, but it starts by abiding, by remaining, by resting in grace, and learning slowly how to integrate ways of engaging scripture, ways of praying, ways of serving, usually in small doses, then increasing over time, so that they become the fabric of our being. And we're not trying to transform our lives all at once, well-intendedly, but we're doing it in our power. Here's our list. We're going to do it. I'm, I'm going to impress God. Look at all this stuff I'm going to accomplish by January 30th or in 2018. And then... Jesus is saying, man, your life could have been so much more fruitful this year if you just would have abided in me instead of trying so hard. Paul says to Timothy, train yourself to be godly. And when you train, you have a different mentality than just trying hard. You have a long-term plan. You're not about short-term growth. You're about what do I need to do today so that I'm stronger than I was yesterday so that I can be stronger tomorrow. But you don't wake up and say, I'm going to start running 20 kilometers tomorrow if you haven't run one. You say, this is where I'm at. Here's a train. Here's a plan. I have a coach, and they're going to get me there. So we're integrating spiritual disciplines, and we'll talk about those over the next few weeks, into our lives that Scripture says these are integral to remaining in Jesus. You won't be able to remain in Jesus if you don't participate in these practices. But we're going to participate in these practices strategically and with practice. We're going to slowly integrate them into our lives. We're not going to try and all jam them in in January and then just kind of hold on and carry them through 2018. We're going to just slowly build, build momentum, build capacity. And this week, what I would invite you to do, it's a total invitation, is take John chapter 15, verses 1 to 11, and read it every day and or read and meditate on it every day, which is just, just read it slowly over and over, highlight things you're like, oh, that's interesting. Hmm, I wonder what that means. I, I'd never noticed that before. And a next level you could try and do is try and memorize the whole thing. Maybe that would take, take you more than a week. But just this week, just steep in Jesus' words in John 15. That's the only thing you do. Just steep in it and just go through it prayerfully. Say, God, I want this to be a reality in my life. I want to be fruitful. 
and just do that. And if that ends up being two minutes a day, don't beat yourself up because you didn't do it for five or you didn't have any amazing insight into scripture and the heavens weren't opened, you didn't have any grand feeling about anything. Just do the discipline. Do it in a small and slow and steady way and invite God to use it. The last pillar of abiding in Christ might be the most important. And that is that you establish all your activity in the gospel of grace. You cannot learn to abide in Christ through clench-fisted striving. It won't work because what you're really trying to do is summon internal willpower to be like Jesus. Successfully and fruitfully abiding in Jesus comes from a place of surrender to God's grace and a deep acknowledgement and return again and again and again to the fact that God's grace and love has permeated your life. You are secure in Christ. You are saved by grace um, through faith. One author said it like this, because Jesus accomplishes the law to the uttermost of its demands, he can accomplish our salvation to the uttermost of our need. And this is a key line. Our role as new creations, in Christ we're a new creation, our role as new creations is not to achieve the holiness of God, but to enjoy it. That is a very subtle distinction. Have you been saved in Christ to now have to try and be as holy as you can or your relationship is on the rocks? Or have you been saved in Christ? His righteousness and holiness has been applied to your account and now you are in Christ, adopted as a son or daughter, and now you get to move into a new kind of life free from your performance dictating whether or not God loves you, accepts you, still forgives you, you're still in his good graces, are you still an adopted child or will God unadopt you? See, often our desire to grow as a Christian is fueled by the presumption that if I just obeyed God more and tried harder, God would somehow love me more. But that's counter to the gospel. The gospel says you are secure in your relationship with Jesus because of his life, death, and resurrection. You are secure in God's love. Romans 8, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And there's nothing in heaven or on earth that can separate you from that standing. You are now married to Christ. So now what we're doing is not saying, how do I learn to perform religiously so that God will love me more? or accept me more, or really forgive me. That's already been taken care of in Christ at the cross. What I'm doing is, now that I've been brought into this relationship with Jesus, not because of anything, not because of my religious performance, but because of his faithfulness, how do I learn to remain in that strong connection? Which does require my participation, but it's not participation from, an, from a foundation of anxiety, where I'm fearful that if I don't measure up, God will cut me off. I'm now secure in Christ. Abiding in Christ is secured when we intentionally evaluate our life patterns from a place of grace, turn away from patterns and practices that are leading us to drift in grace, and when we form new habits of heart, soul, mind, and strength to keep us in strong connection with Jesus, again, by God's grace. The foundation is that we are loved and secured and saved and accepted in Christ by faith, now we are learning to obey. But the pressure's off. Because our obedience after the fact doesn't, 
dictate the fundamental nature of the relationship. The fundamental nature of the relationship is saved and secure in Christ. Now I'm learning to obey, and God will help me and discipline me along the way and encourage me. I'll end with this quote. I think it's really, really good. I got it from uh, a website that I'll introduce you to next week. Grace is the invitation. Habit is the integration. Love is the manifestation. And life is the destination. That's what happens. That is the whole call of what it means to abide in Christ. Grace is the invitation. Habit is the integration. Love is the manifestation. And life is the destination. May that fruit bear out in our lives. Let's pray as we prepare for communion. God, thank you for your love. Thank you for grace that secures us in this relationship that establishes us in you, the true vine, and now we go on the journey of learning how to remain in you, free from anxiety, open to your pruning work in our lives, and excited about what a life of fruitfulness looks like to you, God. God, as we prepare for this time of communion, as we come forward, as we take bread and, and grape juice, maybe the grape juice this morning really reminds us that we are called to be fruitful and to be people who are increasingly formed into the likeness of Jesus and are poured out like a drink offering, like Paul says, so that those around us would smell the aroma of Christ and experience his love and grace and truth. God, we come to this table not because we believe ourselves to be faithful, but because you are the faithful one in this relationship. And as we come forward this morning and take bread and wine and we remember your body and blood sacrificed and given for us, may we be able to rest in that good news message. The pressure's off. We've placed our trust in you now inside of uncondemnable love and grace. We can learn to live in a way that is fruitful and connected to you. In Jesus' name, amen. The scripture from 1 Corinthians, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed. He took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So I'm going to invite you to stand. We're going to worship. And at any point during the next few songs, I'm going to invite my communion helpers to come forward. And at any point in the next few songs, if you are a Christian who have placed your faith and trust in Christ, I invite you to come over and uh, come forward, receive the bread, dip it in the grape juice, and take and eat and be grateful and thankful that you have been saved by grace through faith.